Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 12 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. In episode 12, you'll meet Matt Erickson. I love this guy. Started at ivysport.com, was the first employee of that startup, and then went on to Cobra Systems, where he literally wore so many different hats, but then leveraged all that to start his own company, Erickson Strategy, where he helps other businesses be their best version of themselves. Enjoy. You're going to learn a lot today. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Joining me today is Matt Erickson. Matt, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your time at ivysport.com and Cobra Systems because I have a feeling, I bet, that you've been able to parlay what you learned from those two companies into what you do now with your own entrepreneurial venture, Ericsson Strategy. So tell me about ivysport.com. That was a startup, right? And you were the first employee? Yes, yes. So how that started was the – I was working actually at the time as a junior accountant for a company called Core Partners Inc., which was out of a tech company out of Newport Beach. And unfortunately, it was not turning the dot-com bust corner, and the company was shutting down. But the CEO uh, had found out that I was going to school for entrepreneurship at Cal State Fullerton and said, you know, I, I, he had gone to an Ivy League school and said, I have this uh, clothing company for the Ivy League schools out of my garage, you know, um, when when core partners closes, uh, maybe you want to see if you can do anything with it. So why and that's kind of how it started. Why do you think you were the first employee? What did he see in you? Uh, well, I think he just knew that I was going to school for entrepreneurship and knew that it was going to take somebody that had you know that kind of like, you know drive and passion to to do something like that to to get this thing out of the garage. So how did you help build that company? Um, well, so. You know, I mean, I was doing everything initially from uh, customer service to pick, pack, and shipping. Um, I think our first holiday season, we, we hired my buddy as our second employee. But um, probably the number one thing that I remember doing to help build that company was um, I was looking at some of the, our sales analytics. And, you know, there's eight Ivy League schools. And I was trying to determine what the sales percentages were for each one of the schools and then also combine that with the um, the type of products that we were selling. And, you know, um, Harvard t-shirts is the number one skew that we were selling at that time. Um, but then I started looking at the, the gross profit margins and I realized we made the most money off of sweatshirts. And then I realized we, out of all the sweatshirts, we sold the most sweatshirts for Yale. So it changed our entire pers- uh, perspective off of being a t-shirt company into a sweatshirt company in profit sort. Wow, exciting. It, you know, it's amazing when you dig deep and start looking at numbers, real numbers, and what's really selling, uh, you can start to make a, a huge difference. So why, why were you passionate about the, that startup? Well, you know, it was exciting to create something from nothing, you know, and being involved with even some of the t-shirt designs, you have an idea in your head, and you draft it on, on, on the computer, and then it sells, you know, 500 units. So, you know, it was fun, flexible, and you could see the effects of what you did. Yeah, see, and, and I know that right now there's some people in my audience that are in the midst of their own startups or even thinking about starting something up. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? And looking back, what did you learn from those challenges? 
Well, anytime startup situation you have there is, is cash is always um, an issue. And um, fortunate or, or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, uh, all the projects I've been involved in have all been self-funded. So, so cash has always been an issue with a startup. So, and, you know, then marry that with the thing, of, you know, you don't know how it's going to turn out. So, you know, it can be a little scary, but with high risk, there's always high reward and um, there's challenges of wearing too many hats. I've, and I've, um, you know, slept when we moved out to the warehouse and during the holiday season, you know, uh, we had cots and we would sleep in, in the warehouse to so get all the orders out. So, um, I th- that's some of the challenges. I think, uh, you know, you know, one of the, one of the big things I learned was is I just gained experience. And so with the benefit of that was, is that when other people join the company, as the company grows, you've done that function and you can teach it. And that's a huge plus. You know, it's interesting that you bring up cash and, and, and struggles in a startup. I was in a part of a startup for a trust company and, and we were sitting at a table and a, a very successful individual was at the table and he was talking about what's important, what's not. And on one side of what's important, it said cash. And he said, it's like blood. When you run out of it, you die. And so I just, that just always stuck with me. Like, you know, you got to really manage those expenses and, and make sure that you're uh, managing the cash flow, uh, you know, properly. So let me, you know, what are, what is some of the advice or encouragement that you would have for the listeners in a startup endeavor right now? Like, what would you, if you could give somebody that advice and you were sitting around a table and you're talking to them, what would you say? That, that the results won't come as fast as you think. And, you know, give yourself, you know, going back to cash, give yourself a good runway and because sales fixes most problems in a startup. So, you know, you have to network for referrals twice as hard as what you thought you had to do. Um, and and it, it is going to be, it is going to be more difficult than, you know, your excitement and passion that you bring to it thinks you're going to have with it. You, you know, it, it, you have to have the passion though. You got to believe in the product, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. What, and on the encouragement side is, is, is that, you know, uh, very few times you get rich working for someone else. So when you high risk, high reward, and, you know, if you hang in there and give yourself a long runway, you know, it takes a long time to be an overnight success. So, you know, if you stick it out, it's there for you at the end. You know, you're right. I have a business mentor. He said, everybody wants to hit a grand slam. He goes, sometimes, you know, if you keep hitting singles, you score a lot of runs. And, and and I just, again, you know, this, it's kind of a, because nowadays, especially everybody wants a quick fix. And so if you put in the time and you're able to do that, so I appreciate you bringing that up. I think that's really good for my listeners to hear. So now, now on to Cobra Systems. I mean, how, how did you end up there? And what, tell, tell us, first of all, what is Cobra Systems? We heard what, you know, what Ivy Sport was. They were making apparel for, you know, Ivy League school, but tell us about Cobra Systems and, you know, what was your journey there? So Cobra Systems today does three things. They do barcode printers, barcode scanners, everything that goes um, through barcode machines. Um, they uh, also make a printer that prints out those little stickers that go on your windshield after you get an oil change, okay. which is the lar- largest player in the market for those. And then the last thing is, um, is probably, probably the most exciting thing I did while I was there was um, uh, a product line that did safety signs and labels that doesn't use a computer. So like warning, caution, danger, hazard. Um, yeah, we, we did a, a whole product line for that. And so what did you, how did that help you? Like what was your position there? How did you add value to that situation? And what did you learn to tee yourself up to start Ericsson's strategy? Yeah. So, uh, 
when I first started working there, I worked in, um, in I can't remember what my title was, it was operations, something or another. And then um, uh, I moved into the GM role. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of uh, things that happened with my, my, my role got split and then it came back together and there was, um, you know, lots of challenges up and down. Uh, so I think, you know, I learned a lot about changing the focus away from it being about me and about the dollars and having it be like a culture first company. And if you take care of the culture, then a lot of things just kind of seem to fall into place. So I think that was probably one of the biggest things. Um, I also learned a lot about accountability. So not like me holding other people accountable because that isn't fun for me or for them. So it's more about the importance of empowering others to hold each other accountable. So that's another thing I'm very, very proud of there is, is that uh, accountability would go up to me. It would go sideways in, in different departments. And, you know, accountability is always traditionally this negative thing. And when people are empowered to hold each other accountable, it's actually quite a positive thing. So I like that a lot there. So I love that. Thank you. Because I think that that goes with uh, a saying that I say, and, and I heard it from a friend who said, you know, some people draw their power from empowering others. And, and when you do that, I mean, I, I, I truly think that real power is when not you making the decision, when you allow others to make the decision for you. And then you trust and verify that it gets done. And uh, they feel good about it. You feel good about it. And it gives you the freedom to do the things that you need to do within your private life and your professional life. So, all right. So now that you have your own business, you know, where you help other businesses succeed because you kind of parlayed all of this up into like, hey, I'm doing this for other companies and they've done well because of it. Thank goodness. Tell me, you know, tell my listeners a little bit about Ericsson's strategy. So with Ericsson's strategy, the theme of it really is entrepreneurship. So um, good, good foreshadowing into this that, you know, empowering uh, the leadership team to be able to drive the company going forward. All right. So it's full turnkey strategic planning. And then it's tacked in with a process of accountability to make sure that it all gets done. Yeah, so absolutely necessary and important in business and small and large companies. So, and I believe the role of business is is really to create value in society. And if we focus on value, uh, creating profits are a natural byproduct of that. So, can we talk about that for a second? So, how do you, you know talk about how you create value with Ericsson Strategy by helping companies create value? So, I create value. Um, by, you know, we take an introspective look at the company and we come up with a series of, of objectives that in, in across all departments. And then those get assigned to people, the actual people, and, and it gets tracked and uh, entire process of accountability with a meeting rhythm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people go into these meetings and they're, you know, it's another meeting, it's another consultant, it's another thing going in, but, you know, uh, the owners of the companies end up changing the most and the leadership team ends up being the most excited. So it's kind of neat. Now it's absolutely great to see those results. You know, in my leadership keynote and, and coaching capacity, I talk a lot about painting the target and setting the vision. You've heard that when we met and the teams you lead and your family, can you talk about the balance between like, you know, shooting for the moon, trying to get these huge lofty goals and setting realistic achievable goals? Because that's what you do. You help companies with their strategic planning. So what are some of the tools you give companies to balance the two, you know, shooting for those big goals and also being realistic in the day to day, what is it going to take to make us get to where we need to be? So my experience, create realistic goals. It starts by asking 
repetitive questions. So um, an example of that might be something like, you know, I'll, I'll say, so what's the goal? And the owner of the company will say a, a number. And say, so, okay, I might say, so that's the goal. We'll call it the BHAG goal for now. But what would you just be happy with? Because if you create a situation where these goals are unattainable, you're upset and your other team is discouraged. So you know, it starts off with just asking real deep questions to keep on trying to what does that realistic number look like? Uh, the other part about it, too, is, is if you have a bonus structure, uh, some type of compensation structure for non-salespeople, right? When you put that into place and it's an unrealistic goal, you really run the risk of discouraging your staff. And so I think it's really important that, that you run it through that, you know, internal filter. So what happens if we don't hit this, this unattainable goal? When they look at me, what's their face going to look like? So uh, I think that that's, I think that's a big driver of, of a good tool uh, to, to help create more realistic goals. And then, you know, the last thing is, is that, you know, you always uh, try to find a way to say, okay, so, I mean, how would we measure that? How would we do that? And then you ask the question, what happens if it doesn't happen? You know, there are a lot of companies that will start, a matter of fact, without saying names, I have a friend who had a company and they set a pretty aggressive uh, bonus structure and the salespeople hit the bonus structure and then they hit it again. They hit it again. They knocked it out of the park and all of a sudden they were almost making more than the owners were making. And, and, and so they had to readjust. The, and when, they, when you readjust, what happens then? What happens to your salespeople? They're like, you're changing, you're, yeah, they're, they're cha- you're changing the game. And so they get discouraged. They thought they were knocking out of the park, which they were. But so how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you deal with making sure that you're realistic? Because I know there are a lot of people out there who are always looking for new, innovative ways to create bonus structures and to, to reward people. Any tricks to the trade? Well, what I've, what I've seen work the best, and, but it's also the scariest for owners, is to be open and share the financials. And uh, having a, a compensation program that's based off of some percentage uh, of the net profitability of the company really gets people in alignment. And there's lots of creative ways you can do it. You don't have to share the actual number, but if you, you're making it, um, you know, we're at 70% of the goal. So you don't you know, have to share the actual number. But having it being tied directly to the profitability of the company is uh, is, you know, I would say what's good for the goose is good for the gander and it's got to be good for both sides. So I've seen that that work really well. And then it, and, and there's some level of, um, you know, cap, you hit 80%. This is what happens. Hit a hundred percent. This is what happens. And then if we do amazing that BHAG, we hit 120, then everyone's going to be doing really good. Yes. No. And, and, and then they feel like owners, even though they're not. Yeah, well, then, then they take ownership and they hold each other more accountable than what they normally would. And, you know, you get all the – that's why my logo has a, a Viking ship. So all the oars are rowing in the same direction, the same pace. Nice, nice. So what, what is the advice that you can give our listeners for setting realistic goals in their own lives, their, their personal lives? I mean, is it a similar strategy? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, what's, what's tough is when, when you're with a company and you're trying to set realistic goals – you know, you look around the team and you say, well, if I was in that position, this is what, this is how much it would do. And this is what this would do. And, you know, they're not you. Um, when in your personal life, you, there's nobody to delegate anything to. So, 
you know, there's, there's a whole other series of, of challenges with that. But it really kind of starts with, you know, what are, I mean, what are the things that you really want to accomplish? And, I mean, for me, I break everything down into a daily strategic plan. So I have the big goals, but then I, I break it down to a daily strategic plan. And you sit there and say, okay, so if I need to do this, what needs to come off? So every morning I make a list of all the things I need to do and I put it into a slot into my calendar. And so that way, if anything else comes in, something else has got to come out. Really? So you do that every single morning? Uh, even on weekends. Yes. Wow. Wow. So, and, and that may include like going to the beach or whatever it is. So it's just like, you know, a, a time, is it t- based on time and how much time everything will take? And then you tr- fill that, fill that day up. Yep. Absolutely. Wow, nice, nice. So then you don't overbook because something has to come off when it comes on. So I appreciate that. So, so oh, there you go. I think, I think, I think some people will enjoy that. So sometimes the term strategic plan makes people's eyes roll back in their head. And uh, what are the steps that you take with your clients to help them create the strategic plan so that it's just more than a document? It's actually a north star. Yeah. So I think. You know, my process starts out with a SWOT analysis for the company, so we understand, what, you know, what's the lay of the land and what, what are we working with here. So it's a very introspective look. And then from there, we devise a UVP, unique value proposition. So that's something that, you know, we can all really identify with. We are whatever that is. And then we create the vision or the goals, right? And we get everyone to agree upon that's the realistic goal. And then from there, we just do a department breakdown. We reverse engineer what it takes for us to meet the goals. We start putting names and dates and a plan to get it done. Then we end with a meeting rhythm for accountability. And my meeting rhythm is pretty simple. Every day, there's a, there's a, uh, we huddle up. Uh, and then every week, we tag up, which should be about 30 minutes max. And then once a month, we do a full deep dive roundup where we go through key performance indicators and, and yeah, make sure that, you know, the ship is sailing in the right way. And somewhere in there too, um, varies, you know, we build uh, a SWOT analysis for each employee and then we create personal action programs for each employee so that they know what we think that they're good at. And then we know some of the areas that we can help them and partner with them to approve upon. And so who's running these meetings typically? So I, I, I run the meetings and the teams, um, you know, throw out ideas. And at the end of the day, it's all their ideas. You know, my system just brings it out of them. Yeah. So, so you, and, and, and part of that, I know that you coach companies on how to create, you know, meaningful key performance indicators, KPIs. Uh, why do some companies struggle with meaningful KPIs? And I see that all the time. Why, why do you fi- find that companies have, you know, misaligned incentives or KPIs? How do you coach them through that, you know, turning that around? You said the most, most common thing I see is, is that, that companies think that the results are the key performance indicators. And, I mean, for all transparency, you know, the results like profit, gross profit margin, stuff like that are always on my, you know, KPI slides as well. But, you know, too often companies don't dig a little deeper and stay why is this important and what drives, what activity drives this result? And then those are the things that they have to be tracking. And the other thing is, is that there's some things like great customer service. It's a real touchy feely thing. And so how do you track great customer service? And I think that 
just is starting out, uh, it's okay to have a KPI that ends in yes or no. Because not a lot of people respond to surveys, and the only people who do respond to surveys are going to be the people that are really happy with you or really upset with you. So everyone in the middle, your core customer base, you know, doesn't take the time to fill it out. So you have to ask yourself, did we do it, the best customer service job we could possibly do this last month? And if the answer is yes, then you move on. If the answer is no, then maybe something goes on the deck as an objective. No, I like that a lot. And I've noticed that bigger companies are using that now. You know, you'll you'll hang up on a phone with a big company, you'll get a quick survey that said, Did you like did you like the service we just gave? Yes or no? So I mean, clearly you're onto something there, and 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 I think that that's a great uh, tool for us to kind of figure out: Are we at least headed in the right direction? So keeping that in mind, and again, because I always want to go back to my listeners, like not only just from the business perspective, but from a life perspective. So in their own lives, like, can you give me a few KPI ideas for my listeners to consider in their own personal lives? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the things that you know is, is always a great KPI for business is tracking uh, new customer acquisition cost, right? So, you know, so do you have, can you take something like that and apply that to how much time you spend with your friends and your family, right? So, so in my consulting practice, right, I have a key performance indicator of a minimum of two networking referral meetings every single week, right? So I have a very similar thing that's, uh, that, that, um, my wife and I talk about is, you know, are we seeing our family? Are we seeing our friends? How much time do we spend with them? And, and we talk about those things. Um, other ones that are, are huge are limiting the amount of social media time. That's a huge thing right now. And that's something easy to track. How much time did you spend on Facebook today? Could you spend less time? The answer is usually yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> So that's that. And then, I mean, the uh, most obvious one is retirement planning. And that, that, that can something that'd be pretty easily tracked, you know, personally. So, Just what I need to retire, when I'm going to retire, just setting up those very specific goals and then make, you know, going back to what you said before, figuring out, okay, then if, I, if that's really what I want, what is it going to take to get there? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what do you do? All right. So let's talk about the companies a little bit more. What, what do you do to help teams and companies find and articulate their why? you know, from a strategic perspective, from a business perspective? So I think that that really comes naturally out of the process. You know, I don't have that built in why it's directly part of my program. However, a lot of that comes out when, when we focus on creating that unique value proposition, right? Because that kind of determines like, why are we in business? Why do we do what we do? And why are we the best at doing that? So I think a lot of that stuff comes out naturally. Um, the other thing that it comes out of processes is that um, all the owners and, uh, and sometimes the entire leadership team has a homework assignment. I don't believe in creating core values very quickly. And even more importantly than that is core behaviors that are in line with those core values. And sometimes that's a one to two year long homework assignment that I give out at the end. And I think those type of things, you know, help those teams and the companies really articulate their why. Yeah, so everyone, I want you to listen to what he just said right there, and you can go back and listen to it, rewind it a little bit, because really what he just said, what Matt just said, can be taken right right back to your personal life. I mean, just, you know, analyzing where you're spending your time, your pr- core principles, you know, all these different things, and then you get your why. I mean, 
And, and that's so important, I think, to do from a personal perspective also because it's like running, you know, a fine-tuned race car. You got, we all have to be running on all cylinders and moving in the same direction down the track so that we can have a chance to, to win. And, and we all define what winning is differently, of course, but at least you give yourself a chance. So what are some of the things that you do to help companies with their employees or team engagement? Like from what you've seen – what, are, what would be maybe the two most prevalent inhibitors of team engagement or causes of dispassion in employees? Well, by the two most you know, causes of that are that, you know, they're the doers, not the thinkers, is the philosophy by, by either owners or, you know, the, the CEO of the company and that other people are supposed to be doing the work. And you really hired them not to do the work, but to think and be creative and, and to grow as your organization grows. So changing the, the, the thinking from doing to thinking is, is, is big. And the other thing that you see often is unfortunate, but um, um, issues like sacred cows within a company. And um, I, think, I think one of the things that I think everyone should have a core value for their company should be is that be someone that others in your organization are excited when they get up and get ready and go to work to work with you. And I, th- I, I think that's a very, very valuable thing. And it co- often gets pushed back because nobody likes, you know, everyone's worked a job where they've worked next to somebody who they're like, they just need to let this person go. This person is awful. And they're just here. They don't like their job. They dread coming to work, to work with that individual. And so, you know, you really lose a lot of team engagement and you lose a lot of passion that way. Um, and I mean, if there's one tool that I can give or, you know, advice is, is, you know, companies have a lot of meetings. And if you're the person in charge, let others lead the meeting, put it on a rotation or let others step up and let them have some sense of, you know, responsibility and leadership themselves. Yeah, and, and take that then to a – so you, you brought up an interesting point. Like you be that person that they want to see in, in the morning. They want to be part of what you're part of because you're the leader. So dig a little deeper if you don't mind for a second. So what are some examples of successful ways for leaders to infuse effort or passion or you know quality into, into their people so that the teams exude that effort, passion, and quality within the company? You know, I just know at Cobra Systems, we talked about it a lot. And, you know, when we had a situation, if somebody wasn't, you know – operating right or or i mean you, it's a cliche that you know you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family but it's a cliche because it's true and so you know you start rubbing each other the wrong way it's a natural thing that happens and so you know we just talked about it a lot i mean and and we've done everything from um you know we'd have a a, a, a core value of the day where we would we would say two things um you know what is the core value or uh, why is that core value important and how has it come up recently? So I think things like that uh, go a long way. I think just always talking about it. core values are so, so many times just put up on a poster and on, on a wall and they're not talked about. And uh, they're better off, off, I mean, you can leave them on the wall, that's fine. But I mean, it's so much more important that you talk about it and you discuss it and why it's important. And that's how that kind of stuff really gets in, engaged and, and, and people will naturally start holding other people accountable to those core values because you're setting the tone. 
You know, it's also the the culture that we bring. One of the most impactful moments, so funny, because, you know, I'll speak for three hours to a group of CEOs, and I talk about, you know, showing up, and how do you show up? It's, it's showtime, and and one, under situational awareness, I talk about even the language that we use. Like, I think cursing is more prevalent now than any time, and I always feel like the employees, they're watching, they're listening to everything that says, and when when a crude joke or something is told in, a, in an office, and you as a leader laugh, what did you just tell them? I guess that's okay. Yeah, it's, uh, go ahead, tell another. But if you if you say, hey, that, that's I'm sure that's funny to you, but that's not the way we're going to talk in this office. What did you just tell them? That's not okay. Don't tell another. And and so they are watching. And I think when you start to, I, I love that you brought up, you know, just that quality and the passion. And when you start to talk, like actually do it, not just have it on uh, written on the wall and show it that uh, that that's the the culture that you start to create and starts to manifest itself into more and more and more. So that's thank you for bringing that part up. So now now on to you, if you don't mind, as a leader. Like what? What is your big why? Like why do you do what you do even when it's hard? Yeah, I think you know you talked about this in your presentation, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and and it was right in line with with how I think about this. Is you know, I would like to be someone remembered as uh, people you know are thankful for that that you know that I've built the company or I've I've build something that is given opportunity for others. I think one of the kind of things that really stands out to me is, is that I, I, I don't know, I think I've probably been at Cobra Systems for about one year and I was at lunch with the owner, Doug, and I remember like it was yesterday, we were having sushi and uh, we were talking about employees and different things and how the company is, is, is growing. And, and I said, you know, isn't it cool that you've created something from total scratch and people get paychecks and those paychecks get cars and houses and a lot of food on the table and health insurance for families and been able to do something that didn't exist before. And we talked about that and that's always really stuck with me. And, you know, that's really probably my, my big why. Well, I love that. I love that because it, it's true. You can make a huge impact. And, you know, some of those paychecks are used to donate to great charities or allow you to have time to go donate in, in inner city schools or whatever. So, and, and that's, you know, I love that about entrepreneurship. I love it about most of these entrepreneurs that I meet, they're so giving and they're so caring. And yet there's this, there's this myth out there that they're these greedy, no good, you know, and instead when I meet them, they spend so much time telling me about all the good things that they're doing and the charities that they're part of. And, they're not getting any credit for that. They're not putting that on the news. They're not talking about it to anybody else. They're just so excited about it. They want to share it. And I love that. So I appreciate that. Why? Thank you very much, Matt. Great American. I'm telling you right now. Uh, so you, you, you brought this up. You and I met at a Vistage Worldwide event. Why is it important to be part of something like Vistage? And for those of you that don't know, Vistage is a, it's a worldwide uh, CEO support group, essentially. It's like a, having a board of directors. They, they're non-competing industries. They use each other like a board of directors. And then they talk about issues and problems, and they bring in speakers, and I get to speak for them quite a bit for Vistage around the world. Uh, pretty exciting. So what does lifelong learning mean to you? Like, why is it important for you to be part of something like that? Well, I think it's just phenomenal to be able to tap into the experience of, I think our group has 17 people. And most of them have more experience, career experience than I do. And so for me, it's twofold. One is tapping into that. And then there's an amount that I feel, you know, good about myself and very enriched if I feel like I've helped out somebody else in the group too. So I think, you know, those are kind of the big things, you know, when we have our executive sessions and we're helping each other out, 
know, these, these are no company is without issues and their issues are constantly changing from month to month. And to be able to have a forum where you can sit down and you can get so much help and the help cares, you know, all of us in our group, we, we truly care about each other. We truly support each other. We have an amazing um, chair who is phenomenal, Les Whitney, at you know, guiding us through our meetings so that we get the most out of it. And, I mean, you know, for me, it's invaluable. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that amazing? There, I think there's power in peers. When you surround yourself with the right people, great things can happen. And yeah, thank you for bringing up the fact that, you know, everyone has challenges because that's the most interesting thing to me about Vistage is that they're not even – you're not even in the same industry. And yet you see that, you know, similar challenges, similar potential solutions. Sometimes it just takes somebody outside your industry to say, well, why aren't you doing it this way? Well, I, I don't know. No one in our industry has ever done it that way. Well, that doesn't mean you can't do it. So, you know, I love that part of it. And I, I've always said if you take the top 10 people you surround yourself with, average of them, that's about where you're going to be. So you're at the top pulling everybody else up. You're at the bottom being pulled up. I like to, you know, be three or four, right? I want to help people because just like you, you take pride in helping others because probably that's how – why you are where you are today because people helped you, but also you want a bunch of people above you saying, get your act together, dream bigger, be better, you know, that type of thing. So I, I appreciate your answer. You know, most often, I think about this all the time, thoughts are a precursor of how we act and who we are as people. And so let me ask you, Matt, what, what do you spend your time thinking about? Well, I think I spend a lot of time right now because I'm doing a startup about, you know, how I can marry helping people with, with, you know, with the growth of the company and what is the balance with that? And so I, it, obviously that takes up a lot of my time. Um, I'm also uh, a technology enthusiast. So I spend a lot of time listening to technology podcasts and watching technology news. And um, so actually I've been thinking a lot about all the new developments in artificial intelligence. A little worried about it, but uh, I find it very exciting. So you talk about po- any favorite podcasts? I should uh, alert. I, I'm always a big fan of passing on good information. Oh, I think well, probably my my favorite technology podcast is Twit This Week in Tech, and it's done by Leo Laporte and uh, the the Twit Network. I think is what it's called. Nice, nice. I'll have to check that out. So, um, and, and uh, hey, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's about leadership. It's about learning. It's about um, you know always challenging yourself to be better. So, what does leadership mean to you personally? Like, what are ways that you practice that in your life? Well, I think you know. Uh, I mean, I have uh, I'm doing executive coaching, so um, coaching a few people, and you know, that makes it pretty easy because it's the whole thing of, of what, what I'm trying to do is is um, is is to is to coach and to lead, but at the same time, I'm leading by asking questions, and I think actually that's a, a thing that uh, our Vistage chair Les Whitney's has really taught me is is that you know you can never stop focusing on asking good questions and 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 doing it from a place where you care about the other person. It's it's invaluable, and it's something that I I continually work on today, and and I'm not where I want to be with with asking good questions and, and definitely wanted me to do a better job of not saying exactly what the answer is, you know, and, and letting that come from others. But, you know, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, empowering others 
you know, putting them in a position so that, you know, they can show their creativity and, you know, what they're capable of, and then also allow them to see what the effort, you know, the results were for their efforts. So that's, that, that's kind of, you know, my approach to that. So, so though for you personally, like, what do you think, and I know this is a tough question, but if you had to say one leadership trait, like if you had to say, what was the one trait, what, what do you think separates like, you know, mediocre leadership from exceptional leadership? Well, I think the thing that separates the most is going to be, you know, getting out of the way of yourself and, you know, and, and, and putting the other person's priorities first, or at least letting them lead or, and, and you guide and, and kind of shape. And so I think, um, I don't know if I'm answering the question the right way. I think that's my thing is I try to bring out the most in people and put them in positions so that, that they, they, they feel comfortable giving answers and they're, they're not worried about, you know, repercussions if they say the wrong thing, you know, because I've hired them to do a job and, and I hired them because they're smart and they're creative, talented people. So I want to put them in a position to do that. So in other words, empowering others. I mean, and, and that's such a I, – I actually really love that one because in all facets of your life, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your friends, whether it's your employees, when you empower others and invest in them and build, you know, great things can happen. So I actually really love that one. Um, that's, that's, that's exciting to me to hear and I think that our listeners really need to hear that because when you invest in others and they feel that, like when they feel it and, they, and it's real, what do they want to give you? Everything. Not because they have to, because they want to. So that, that's just a great answer, Matt. I loved it. Um, so, you know, start starting from a let's let's go to a legacy standpoint. And and I'm always, you know, legacy leadership is important to me, and I care very much about helping others write their leadership legacies. Uh, what would make you more fulfilled today? Um, outside of having my own private jet. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Make sure it's a G5 or a Global Express or some, you know, Citation 10. Let's let's at least set a, a high priority if we're going to get one of those. But no, go ahead. So what what would make you more fulfilled today? You know, I I think you know, as I building this startup, I think you know if I'm able to, in five or just ten years to look back and you know to to look at the body work and the people that have helped and hopefully the organization is, is, has, has grown, uh, you know, a lot since, you know, between now and then, um, and, and looking at the results of the, of the growth within people and within, uh, within the companies that we help. Um, you know, I think, you know, that's one thing that I think that Vistage has taught me is, is that, you know, when you selflessly help out other people and other companies, you know, it just seems to come back tenfold. And you just have to have, you just have to have the guts to put it out there and not worry about getting anything back. It's a karma thing. I'm telling you, people say you can't use the word karma in business. I say all day long. I mean, you got to do the right thing, hopefully. And none of us are perfect. Believe me, no halo over this head or anybody that I know's head, however, really. But I, I do think that if you do the right thing, it's going to come back to you tenfold, whether you like it or not. And if it doesn't, who cares? You did the right thing. So, I mean, what a great, again, great answer because... You know, you have to find what you're passionate about. And, and I think, and talking about that, like what, do you have any causes that you're passionate about and how do you act on those passions? Um, yeah, so I, mean, I think, you know, right now, my big cause is, is you know, is this startup company and, and any spinoff companies that, that, that come from that. So I think I'm very much focused on, on that. I think, 
you know, I think, you know, at Cobra Systems, we've done some really fun things. We've done uh, um, a toy drive for the, the holiday season. We did uh, canned food drive uh, in, at Easter. And that was always great because, you know, we're really helping people out. And, you know, then it also gets, you know, our people and, uh, and our brand out into the, into the community, which is, which is, which is nice. So, um, yeah, I think that was, that was one that, that, you know, for the last you know, four or five years that, you know, you know, we were pretty passionate about for sure. Yeah. And you can really make a difference and let's not, let's not leave this, you know, without saying it, because here, here's what's interesting. Even in your consulting business, I mean, you're affecting lives. I always say that if you look at, you know, I view my life as like a series of dominoes lined up in front of me straight away. And every day I get to, you know, I get to push those dominoes, you know, just tap them. And and, and if I'm nasty and mean and arrogant or that's what goes down the line. If I'm optimistic and I'm a problem solver and I'm, you know, helping them achieve goals within their life, that's what goes down the line. And so, I, I mean, I give you credit because really what you're doing, especially when you're talking to people about leadership and about their lives and about, you know, making themselves more efficient, their companies more efficient, I mean, you're passing that all the way down the line. So you don't, you probably don't even know the positive impact that you're having in people's lives on a regular basis. So I commend you for, for doing what you're doing because, you know, like you said, when we invest in others, great things will happen. And, uh, and I think that that's a, a good lesson for all of us. Is there someone who had a significant impact on you as a leader, maybe a mentor? Can you describe that person? Maybe your relationship. Tell us who that person is and how they impacted your life. Yeah, I, I probably have a couple. I mean, I've mentioned uh, Les Whitney, uh, our Vistage chair, uh, here earlier, and I mean, he's he's been absolutely fantastic and in, in, in helping me, um, you know, see around corners and and you know, teaching me to ask better questions and to be a better leader. Definitely and. Then um, also my dad. My dad has had a lot of uh, a lot of business experience, and I know I can always pick up the phone and give him a call and get great advice. And then uh, and then and, and now actually my my father-in-law. I got married last year, and my father-in-law is uh, VP of Sales for a winery in Northern California. And you know I get fantastic advice, you know, from him. I mean he just makes things look so effortless when he does them. And so uh, I'm enjoying picking up a lot of tips and tricks from him by the way well played bringing up the father-in-law right here on the <laughs> podcast we may have to get him a copy of this so he can hear how, how highly you regard him i love that <laughs> but no you know, it is nice to have people like that that are going to give you a candid answer They're, they've got some great experience i mean that goes back to that whole kitchen cabinet mentality of you know who, who are you surrounding yourself with and so appreciate that and especially you know bringing up your dad i mean in life we're so fortunate hopefully to have people surrounding ourselves that can, that can add that kind of value and then we can hope hopefully add that value to others so i also think that as leaders we should look out for others you know bring them along in our journey in their journey maybe even outside of Erickson's strategy is there someone that you mentor or pour your uh information into uh yeah i mean i think i'm i meet uh with a couple of people within my Vistage group, uh, you know, every single month. And, you know, that's kind of what we do. You know, if, if there's some advice I can, I can give, um, all the better. And so that's kind of part of that kitchen cabinet thing. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I, I have, uh, uh, well, probably my, my right hand person that helped me run Cobra systems, uh, um, Dana, uh, um, I, I do executive coaching with her and, um, I mean, she's absolutely fantastic. And I'm really just, enjoying, you know, watching her continue to grow. Um, I mean, 
she doesn't know this, but I'm getting more out of it than she is. So, yeah, and that's that's powerful when that happens, and that's true. I mean, that's that's what creates that huge win-win situation where everybody's learning from everyone and creating excitement and and opportunities for everyone along the way. So, my favorite question to ask when getting people, you know, to think about their leadership legacy is. And by the way, um, if you don't have children, no harm, no foul is what I tell them. You can just insert friends or family. Uh, and if you do have pl- children or plan on having children someday, then what would that look like? But I asked the question, how will your children describe you to their children? You know, what was grandpa really like? What was grandma really like? So you might not have children or grandchildren yet, but how, how do you want to be known to those people if and when they, you know, that day does come? What, Matt, in, in your wildest fantasy how would you want to be described oh so this is this is so funny because this is actually my favorite part uh in, in your presentation and uh when you first asked it i wrote down the word rock star and then <laughs> then we did the next part of the exercise and i was actually that was the the word i was matched up with was was rock star it was just total coincidence and it was amazing and i'm, I'm it's still scary how cool it was but yeah i mean you know, uh, I, I grew up uh, uh, playing in bands. Um, I, I love to travel. I'm definitely, you know, an outgoing type A person. And if my grandkids uh, would think that I'm a rock star, then I won. Yeah, no, and and I love that. But okay, so so I'm not I'm not going to let you get away with that though. So define what the rock star means, though. I mean, what like what does that mean? Like, how would they view you as a rock star? Why would they view you as a rock star? You know. Is it I mean, love? Is just, it fun? Is it experiences? Like, what is it? Is it all of the above? Like, tell me how you view. Yeah, it. it's gonna be it's gonna be that fun and experience, and they know that and that that if they're hanging out with me, that they're gonna be having a great time, and and they're gonna be have you know we're gonna be having fun no matter what we do, and so I think you know uh, my my wife and I um, you know we are you know ninety nine point nine percent of the time exactly on the same page and and. You know, we we travel, we're out there, we're fun, and we make sure that everyone else has fun, you know, as well, too. And so, you know, I, I think that, yeah, just, you know, always having fun with Grandpa would be, you know, a fantastic thing. And, and so it, it is interesting because that is one of the words, and thank you for bringing that up, because that is one of the words where I say, like, you know, I'll ask people this question, and then I'll say, so did you have fun on the list? And some people were saying, but some people won't. I said, hey, if it's not on there, you may want to add it because it's a long life it's not, if that's not included as part of it. And I'll say, do you have the word love on your list? Because if it's a long life if that word's not a part of it. So I just, you know, I, I like that I like that when you talk about that, you brought up fun because uh, it's a great goal to have. And, you know, for those people out there that are listening, for the listeners, if that's not what they would say about you right now, who cares? You can't change it anyway. But what can we change right now? We can literally change, start changing it today and make that our goal. And that goes back to that whole, you know, what Matt and I were talking about when we said, you know, what do you spend your time thinking about? You focused on the guy that cuts you off in the parking lot? Are you focused on all the what-ifs in life? Are you focused on making sure that people are learning around you, that making sure you're empowering others, to making sure that you're, that you're having fun along the way? So love, love that answer, Matt. Love that you want to be a rock star with the grandkids and, uh, and with the family. Well, Matt, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, thanks for giving my listeners some things to consider regarding KPIs and setting realistic goals. I know it will help them grow as, as leaders but also help their companies. Thank you so much for being with me today, and I really appreciate your time. Great, great. I really think, – thanks for having me. I mean I had a blast. I had a blast uh, at your Vistage presentation, 
It was uh, one of the best ones we've ever had. And I'm just honored that you had me on today. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks and have a great day. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Don't just listen, subscribe. This will help others discover us. And please, as a personal favor to me, write a review. When you subscribe to the Garage to Goliath podcast and write a review, it boosts our ratings. Ratings in turn help others find the show. Please also share this podcast with friends and family so together we can take our next Garage to Goliath step.